Hello, women's hockey fans. Welcome to another episode of the Founding Four podcast. Erica Ayala here. I am excited to have a jam-packed episode. I'm going to recap a little bit of what's happening in the NWHL. We have an interview with Bray Ketchum Peel and also give you a rundown of what is to come. So let's start with, at the top, some NWHL news. First, we have our first two re-signings. We haven't even played the 2020 Isabel Cup final and we already have players locked and loaded for the 2020-2021 season. First player to re-sign, Kendall Cornine, aka Scornine, is returning to the Metropolitan Riveters. The second re-signing that we had was Brooke Woleko, aka Woleko, aka She's coming back to the whale. Brooke Willeko re-signs for the Connecticut Whale. And our guest on the show today, one Bray Ketchum Peel, talks a little bit about recruiting Brooke and the other goalies and what she's expecting for the Connecticut Whale for next season. Yes, that would be season six. The NWHL is already preparing for season six. Speaking of that, if you missed it, NWHL Open Ice had their final show of the season. Although I'm thinking we have to get Gamer Doc back once we play the Izzy Cup final, right? 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 Ask him for a friend. That friend is me. Anyway, Lindsay had the one, the only, Shelly Picard on the final episode of NWHL Open Ice. If you're not familiar, NWHL Open Ice It is a talk show that airs on the NWHL Twitch channel. It is hosted by Gamer Doc, a physician that works with gamers and now is hosting an NWHL show. Stick taps to Gamer Doc, stick taps to Lindsay. I was lucky enough to be on NWHL Open Ice and I have enjoyed following along. So on NWHL Open Ice, Shelly Picard talks about uh, that, yes, the NWHL is gearing up for next season, which, of course, makes good sense. So season six, folks, we're gearing up. We'll keep you posted on what we know Um, about the Isabel Cup final. Unfortunately, we are still dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. I spoke a little bit about this on the original eight episode that came out. That is featuring one Elena Orlando. She is a nurse, gamer doc, as I mentioned, also a physician. So coronavirus is a respiratory, uh, it attacks the respiratory system and unfortunately is very deadly. It can be lethal, especially for folks with pre-existing respiratory conditions and and those who are of a vulnerable population age-wise. Um, it's a tough time. People that have been exposed to high danger areas are in quarantine, which basically means that they are asked to stay put in their house for 14 days. Myself, I am um, practicing social distancing and self-isolation. I live in New York City, so it is highly recommended that I stay inside um, unless I have to go out. But then there are a whole host of professions, and of course the healthcare profession being among them, that 
don't have the luxury of working from home. And I think that sometimes gets lost in the conversation. I certainly take that for granted. So thank you to everyone, healthcare profession or not, that is still working. Okay, folks, back to the NWHL. All right, we talked about re-signings. The Isabel Cup final, that's why I got on that coronavirus thing. The Isabel Cup final has been postponed until a later date. We're still hoping that we'll see that. There's a lot of speculation as to what sports is going to look like. We really don't know um, because once we start seeing things turn around, we have to wait and see uh, the logistics of everything. So we're waiting on the Isabel Cup final. Um, But I alluded to my conversation with Elena Orlando, and I have some good news, folks. As of this week, I have contacted all eight players from the original eight. In case you haven't noticed, the Founding Four podcast is doing a special series in addition to these weekly roundups of the NWHL. It's called The Original Eight, speaking to all eight players that have been in the league since season one, have played all five seasons. And... Very excited that as of this week, we have all of the interviews scheduled, so we should be able to roll on no problem. We've spoken with Kira Dostal Arena, Shannon Doyle, Kareen Bowie. We spoke with Jillian Dempsey. The latest episode, episode uh, or the latest installment of the series is the, is the fifth interview, and that is with... Elena Orlando, and coming up next is Kaylee Fratkin. So next week, I will drop the Kaylee Fratkin interview. We had a great conversation. Um, it was right after the final was postponed, so she talks a little bit about what um, the adjustments that she's making have to be. Really excited for you all to hear that. And then we will close out with, as I mentioned, there's only two more interviews that I've had to schedule, so that will be Jordan Brickner and Madison Packer. Excited for that. Um, And so the only other things that we really have to talk about now is uh, what's going to, what next season is going to look like. And it's still a little premature. Like I said, we still have the Isabel Cup final we have to play. And we're starting to see uh, teams re-sign, which is exciting. The Riveters led the way. Connecticut Whale followed suit. So we'll wait and see, but the off-season will take you through the original eight series. I hope to talk to a few of the general managers, such as the one, the only, Bray Ketchum Peel. And that is who you will hear from in just a moment. Bray Ketchum, of course, won an Isabel Cup with the Riveters. She played with the New York Riveters that then switched over to the Metropolitan Riveters in season three. She won an Isabel Cup with the Metropolitan Riveters, and then retired off into the sunset, Did not uh, was not active in the league as far as any specific role or capacity in season four. She did drop a puck um, for, um, it was, uh, for the Mandy Schwartz Foundation uh, at one Riveters game in season four, but she wasn't playing. She wasn't in any official capacity. In my conversation that you'll hear next, I talked to Bray Ketchum, about coming back to the league and why taking on the role of general manager seemed like something that she wanted to do. So Bray is a native of the Nutmeg State, aka Connecticut. Of course, she's a Yale alumna um, and now has the first season as general manager of the Connecticut Whale under her belt. We talk roster. 
We talk coaching. We talk recruitment. I have Bray reflect a little bit on the season that was for the Connecticut Whale, the good, the bad, and what she hopes for next season. So now we're going to hear my interview with Bray Ketchum Peel, general manager of the Connecticut Whale. You you make your return to the NWHL, but in a new role um, and with mm-hmm. a new franchise. So uh, Bray, just first, let's get started with uh, how did the opportunity to be a general manager in the NWHL come about? Yeah, so I was looking for a job um, late last winter um, when my brother and I closed our, our business, which was a plant-based protein shake. Um, business called Upwild, and I spoke to Danny and Haley a couple times as they were looking for a GM in Connecticut, and, you know, of course, playing in the league, I was like, oh, man, this is totally different, um, but I definitely want to be back involved in the league that, that you know, gave me so much, and um, obviously, I had an amazing experience with the Riveters and just the league in general, so um after a couple conversations, I decided to take the role um, in May of last year and never looked back. Um, and it was a great time to be a part of the league. I think, you know, after the first three seasons when I was a part of it, I think it's grown tremendously, you know, adding on Minnesota and um, hopefully we're able to continue adding on teams. But, um, yeah, I was excited to be a part of season five. Yeah, of course, we we all know you and and love you from your time with the Riveters and and uh capping that that uh playing career off of course with the with the Izzy Cup. But um I would imagine that it's a it's a bit of a different ride to be a general manager. So, what were some of the things even before the the team hit the ice that were uh that were part of that that learning curve for you? Yeah, um Obviously, you know, I knew a lot of the players that had been on the team, which was helpful, um, just getting kind of the lay of the land from them. Um, So, you know, reaching out to those veteran players like Brickner and Doyle and Lando and just making sure, you know, I totally understood what, you know, the culture they had built and um, kind of what they were looking to do in the next couple of years with the team. So I think those initial conversations were really helpful. Um, Early on, we obviously ended up moving ranks, um, which has been kind of an issue with the whale. And, um, so I was handling a lot of those meetings with Danbury. Um, and then of course, you know, signing players and doing all the recruiting, which is definitely uh, very interesting and different, um, from what I'm used to, you know, instead of getting the call, I was making the calls. And, um, so kind of learning that and, um, also hiring our staff and, the coaches was a big part of my my role initially so yeah and I mean you know I don't think that it's uh, lost on anyone that you also step into this role when the the landscape of women's hockey had changed a lot and so right. you know to some extent you know you at this point don't know how different things would have been because this was your first go round um, as a general manager. But, you know, as things started to unfold and, and we realized that there would be a handful of players that um, had been in the league that were not going to return. I mean, what were some of the ways that you were able to kind of um, navigate through that as you were, you know, new into this role and, and who or what were some of the resources that were available to you? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think it was my first day on the job, 
<laughs> was when the boycott started. So it was definitely a very eventful first week. Um, but I think, you know, having those those conversations with Danny and Haley and just reinstating to those players that we're talking to about our mission and, you know, continuing to grow the game and, you know, just making sure that players had a place to play um, right. was, you know, the bottom line and what we were, what we were striving to do. So um, it was definitely a very interesting summer and it, it was a lot of work um, and, you know, a lot of work that I didn't know I would have to do. Um, yeah. But it was great. I think, you know, having those conversations and building a team of players who really want to be in our league and who really want to continue to grow as players and people, I think, you know, those are the types of people we were we were wanting to have on the whale. And I think we did a great job of building that type of roster and that culture in our locker room. So um, with all the, the struggles, I think we did a great job. Um, nonetheless, and um, we'll continue to keep building that this summer. Yeah, I, I want to stay there for a minute because you just talked about, of course, going back to some of the veterans in the league that you would have played either with or against in different capacities and, and getting an understanding of, of what their goals were um, for this franchise, a franchise that, you know, you mentioned Jordan Brickner, you mentioned Shannon Doyle. Uh, quite literally, these are these are the pioneers of the Connecticut Whale. Um, what do you remember from, from those conversations and, and what did you find illuminating about the way that those two women in particular uh, categorized the franchise. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for them is they wanted, you know, consistency and structure, um, and they want to win. Um, you know, they have dealt with a lot of adversity um, with this program and, you know, not having a winning season since, I think, season one. Um, is, is a lot to handle. And I think that says a lot about the character that, you know, they have built in that locker room. And, um, and that was a big thing as well, you know, building off that character that, and the culture they had, they had built in season four, um, and just continuing to improve and, um, you know, get the right people involved. I think Colton bringing in Colton was a huge step for the whale. Um, the girls really responded to him. They they bought into his you know his plan and I think that's that's huge um, with a team that's struggling I think you know the trust that they have in the coaching staff and um, in me I hope is is very important to success and I think we showed you know later in the season once Colton was established and when he was back full time um, how much we improved and um, so I think you know, building off the positives um, is really important as we continue to go forward with this franchise. Yeah, I think that that really was on display, certainly towards the, the latter part of yeah. the season. And, and I want to get to that. But I, at first, you know, I'm going to tease you a little bit here. But you know that, <laughs> you know, you and, and those original Riveters certainly hold a special place in, in, the, in my heart and in the, in my family. <laughs> That's kind of, you know, something that we were able to do in that in that first season. And, and look at us now, Bray, right? But, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, I think that there there is such a, a great community here um in in women's hockey but in the NWHL community of course you were you were attached and associated with the riveters um but 
you, of course, are no stranger to Connecticut. Uh, did you ever find it difficult to, to maybe balance not necessarily how you viewed your role, but maybe the, the outward expectations that you felt uh, were associated because you had played in the league and with a different franchise? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a difficult decision to, you know, not only go to Connecticut, but also take on this role. So, um, but I was excited. I think it was, I knew it was going to be a challenge. Um, I saw firsthand, you know, how much this team had struggled in the past, and I wanted to be a part of that change. And, um, you know, I think with the right people in place, as I mentioned, um, you know, we're right there. Um, and I, I really embraced the challenge, I think, and, um, you know, I'm continuing to do that, that as, as we move into the off season. But, um, yeah, I mean, at, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still a riveter at heart, but, you know, <laughs> I think, um, you know, now I can be a whale, a whale as well. And, um, no, it's been fun being a part of a different organization and, um, seeing the way they do things differently. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that ex- that answers it. <laughs> hey, your your answer is your answer. You know, I'm I'm not I'm I'm here to to learn from you. I'm I'm all about it. <laughs> but um, you know, going into now this Connecticut Whale season, you mentioned Colton, and again, I think the team definitely did respond to him. But you know, another thing that was challenging, while also being exciting for Colton, uh, was that you know he had. Um, engagements that kept him away from the team. So while as one of the, the analysts or the analysts for the Connecticut Whale, you know, it, it took us in the booth a little while to, to get to know Colton. I'm curious, uh, what was the process as far as while he wasn't able to be with the team, um, you know, what, what was the communication like within that period of time um, that you were able to, to help facilitate, if, if any? Yeah, so we were in constant communication with him. You know, he was coming up with the lesson plans for practices, um, communicating with Laura and Mike Benelli, who helped us as well while he was gone, um, just to make sure that, you know, we were doing the systems that he wanted eventually once he was there and Mm -hmm. to make sure that the girls, you know, knew knew our game plan uh, before he came in. But, yeah, it was definitely a struggle. I think... um, You know, we obviously, starting out, you know, with 10 losses, and it was, it was, um, I felt bad. I felt like we, you know, we kind of started the season late, and if had we had, you know, a couple more games on the latter end, I think we we could have, you know, proved a lot to the league and ourselves. Um, We were right there. I think we peaked at the right time, thankfully, in this league. You can peak in the last game um, and still go on to do do good things in the Isabel Cup. So, um, yeah, I think having him for a whole season definitely would have been helpful. Um, but I think the girls responded well and appropriately, you know, when he did come in. Hey, everyone, taking a short break from my amazing interview with Bray Ketchum Peel, Connecticut Whale manager, to drop a little audio clip for anyone that is interested in more women's history around sports over on my patreon page sports talk with ela i post on wednesdays interviews with women who have been integral to the growth of their specific sport or sports in general one person that definitely 
fits the bill in that capacity is Digit Murphy. For my Patreon posse, I posted my full interview with Digit Murphy. We talk about so many things. She has great insight on so many things. But the one thing that Digit Murphy really wants to see is a difference of approach when it comes to how to think about and how to market women's sports. Here's a little clip from my interview with Digit Murphy. Like we, we just think that because the men do it, it's the right thing. It's not. Sometimes it's not. It's okay to be different. That's where we really have to go. And it's so frustrating for me to watch, you know, the women, the women so badly in the PW, PWH, whatever the acronym is. PWHPA. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's painful for me to watch them just beg to be picked up with the NHL. It's just, it's, it's to me, it's beneath them. They're so good on their own. They're so talented. They don't even know what they have. And if, if they could figure out what they have and how to package it, that's the secret sauce. But they just want to be in the game. And I remember that feeling. So I get it when I was young. I get it. I just know with all the experience I have that there's another way and a better way that yeah. can help everyone. Yeah. I think, you know, whether it's the PWHPA or the NWHL, I think that there is residue there. I think it's all women's sports, to be honest. Um, you know, even with the WNBA and their latest um, CBA, which, of course, is groundbreaking for their league and has a lot of potentially could have a lot of um, impact on women's sports. I think one thing that really bothered me about the conversation um, was this insistence on using one particular phrase over and over. And you've seen it permeate through all sports is like we're not expecting to get paid like the men. And you know what? That's that's true. Just don't say anything. Exactly. Because they always have to be thinking about men. So again, if you want to hear this full interview and more sit-downs with women who have made an impact in sport over the years, head over to Sports Talk with ELA, click on the subscribe at the $7 level, and you will be guaranteed to get all of my interviews for Women's History Wednesdays. For those who already subscribe to Patreon, thank you so much. I hope that you see that we're building things out. For those of you who aren't, I would love for you to join the Patreon posse. But at minimum, please make sure you're liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the Founding Four podcast. Let's get back to my interview with Bray Ketchum Peel. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, you mentioned that record and it, it's tough because, uh, and I've, I've spoken to Doyle about this. Um, you know, she, she won't, she makes no qualms. It is difficult. It's difficult to have the record that, that the whale has had in franchise history. It's difficult mm -hmm. though. Um, this season, um, you know, and, and I asked, I asked Doyle this, I asked Orlando this, you know, did, is it any different, um, you know, if I'm going to be 100% blunt, you know, is it different to, to get a loss in a in a blowout versus taking so many top-tier teams, um, I mean, two teams that are going to eventually play in the Isabel Cup final? If you look at down uh, 
down the stretch or just overall in the season, how you played Minnesota. I mean, right. those were great <laughs> games. Uh, look at what uh, the Connecticut Whale was able to do as far as um, really putting that, that winning streak that Boston had in, in serious jeopardy to be the first team to, to do that and, and to take them into overtime and eventual shootout. Mm-hmm. Is it tougher to lose that way? Uh, I mean, I don't know. What's the psychology behind that, Bray? Um, I think losing in a blowout's way worse than losing in overtime. Um, but... At the same time, it's, it's, I don't know, because those games where we took Boston to overtime, where we lost those one-goal one games to Minnesota, those are, I'm, I mean, partly equally as tough to lose um, just because you know you're right there, yeah. whereas in a blowout, you know, you're, you're not there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I think we were so proud of ourselves and our team when we, you know, had those close games and unfortunately it was most of the season that we had a lot of those close games which was really frustrating um but you know again the girls were resilient they continued to work and um improve and you know um hopefully we can change those l's into w's next year uh, I'm sure everyone will be excited about that, certainly in Connecticut. But going back to this Connecticut Whale team, um, I want to go back a little bit just to the, the recruitment. Um, we talked about this a lot on the broadcast. Connecticut has always been a team that, um, even in that first season where they, they had a lot of um, offensive firepower, goaltending um, I think is, is certainly a staple of this franchise. So when you knew you had Laura coming back and, and as you were starting to build the roster with um, the inquiries that you had, some of the scouting that you had done, uh, talk to me about settling in on uh, the trio of goalies that we saw this season. Yeah, well, Laura, actually, I will give her credit for that. Um, you know, she did a lot of recruiting on her own and, um, you know, with my help, obviously, but she really brought in those three goalies and um I mean we were really impressed with how Brooke played Sonia as well um and when Casper you know got her chances she also showed up yeah um we thankfully have a great group of goalies and you know they were really encouraging for one another um they work together as as one and um I think that's really helpful when it comes to goalies um because you know it is tricky when one of them's starting a lot more than the other and to keep motivating each other is, is, is hard. So, um, we were really thankful that we had this, this group and, um, we'll hopefully have them again next season. Um, but yeah, Brooke proved to a lot of people that, you know, she's, she was our number one and Sonia is just right there behind her. And if not our number one as well. So, um, it was, it's great to have that competition amongst the goalies. Um, which I think Laura will attest to as well. Yeah, it, it definitely made for um, an interesting season. And I, I, I've yeah. spoken to Brooke and Sonia throughout the season. And, and it seems like any, if you're lucky, I, I suppose, when you have a healthy competition between your goalies, I think that the goalies respect and appreciate that. And and from right. from any indication that, that those two gave in particular, as you mentioned, Cass, as well, um, you know, that there is a, a, a mutual respect and you're always hungry uh, to, to prove what you what you've got, but also understand that there's there's a bigger picture and, and you want to fall in line with that. Um, so I yeah. think that 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 has continued to be a part of, again, this um, 
this uh, franchise when it comes to the Connecticut Whale. Another piece of that, of course, is is the defense. And you mentioned, of course, um, prioritizing Brickner and Doyle. Elena Orlando is a part of that. Taylor Marchin, I think, came in. Um, you know, doesn't have as many years uh, under her belt as, as those others, but has proved to be someone that, you know, um, is is a leader as far as, as the blue line. Uh, the, right. the challenge, though, always with Connecticut um, – let's talk about this season has certainly been that you have, you know, you have such skilled defenders. Um, but, but I think also there was a, a little bit of a struggle in, in finding the, the team identity when it came to um, being in the, in the, uh, in the D zone and, and then how to translate that into uh, productive offense. Um, so mm-hmm. what do you remember some of the conversations being with the team as, as the season went, went on? Um, because that, that did improve um, and that, that improved. Uh, there were changes made at goalie. There were obviously some forwards brought into the mix, but you know, what were you maybe looking for that you didn't see early in the season that you think you got close to, um, as you said earlier, uh, when the team started to really hit the stride, hit their stride? Yeah, I mean, let's not forget also Hannah Beatty stepping in huge yeah. um, as a big defender this year. That's right. When we lost Brickner, unfortunately. But, yeah, we were really fortunate to have, you know, a core defense group um, and then bringing in, you know, Brenna and Laurel later in the season, which helped with the depth. Um, but I think uh, our conversations earlier on, you know, obviously we spent a lot of time in the D zone um, yeah. to start the season and, Thankfully, we have girls who love to block shots and who are relentless in the corners. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, our D are kind of, you know, the core of our team. And and so I think towards the end of the season, we were stressing being hard to play um, mm-hmm. and really stressing, you know, a strong forecheck. Um, you know, getting in teams' faces, I think, was the biggest thing for us. Um, you know, if we weren't going to have all the skill in the world, we were going to be hard to play. And and we wanted teams to struggle to get those Ws against us. So um, I think, yeah, I mean, our D were, were a huge asset to our team this year. And um, But I think knowing how hard they work, I think the forwards, you know, wanted to reward them as well. So... Um, it was a great team effort all around, I think, yeah. as we went along. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned that, that veteran presence. And, yes, thank you for uh, <laughs> reminding us of, of Hannah Beatty, who I think has played since she came to this franchise. You know, she was one of those players that, as her college season was, was winding down uh, at the time, I believe it was under Ryan Equali, who was able to sign up um, in the middle of, of the NWHL season and has kind of played a utility for for this team in in her time in the NWHL but I think what was great is again down the stretch as you're able to get those those two wins down the stretch going into the into the um, playoffs I mean Hannah Beatty was one of those players that really was able to to get the team uh, through and into the semifinal game Um, you know when you see players, um, and, and, you know, the Connecticut Whale, um, save for that first season, hasn't necessarily been a, a team littered with, you know, um, n- nationally recognized uh, hockey players, definitely more of a regional team. Uh, when you see players like Beatty be able to step up, I mean, uh, Schwensfire, I think, uh, if, if, 
if you're maybe someone that doesn't get to watch Connecticut as much as I do, uh, you might be a little <laughs> bit surprised about what she was able to do in pockets. I mean, oh, then yeah. again, when she was able to hit the ice, you know, another player as well. But when you, you when you see players like that be able to step up, you know, again, it's a grinded out type of franchise. It's it's a tough season, um, you know, losing by one goal here and there, um, you know, what, what do you make of, of, uh, are you surprised, I should say, by, by what you see, uh, as the final product that we get to see on the ice? Um, I, I mean, Hannah was, I knew she would be a huge part of our team, no matter where she was. Um, she brings so much energy and love for hockey every day that she just wants to be out there and she wants to help her teammates. And that's just her personality. And she was, she impressed me a lot. Um, and I think the same goes for Laura and Colton. You know, we, she was, you know, in the top four in our defense and um, if not top two. And, you know, she rose to the occasion and she had, she scored some big goals for us down the road. So um, it was, I, I think she might have been our MVP this year. Um, and I'm, you know, it's people like her that you want on your team. Um, no matter if you're winning or losing, she always is positive, um, always bringing up those around her. And, um, you know, she's she's a role player, and she's really stepped up to the role that we put her in this year. Um, and, you know, hopefully she'll continue to do so as a whale. And, you know, same goes, as you said, Schwinn Spires, you know, similar Casey Anderson, Grace, you know, they all yeah. stepped up this year. And I think they really found um, their game and, you know, they, they became more confident. Um, they were all scoring goals, making big assists. So, you know, I think it's a confidence thing with a lot of them. And um, as the year went on, I think they all realized that, you know, they're all very good hockey players. So um, they deserve to be in this league and, and uh, they were a huge part of our success. Yeah, and I, I want to go to also some of the, the signings that you, you brought in, and you mentioned, uh, of course, Laurel, and, and uh, um, mm -hmm. but but you also brought in someone that you know very well, uh, NWHL players, <laughs> uh, or fans, excuse me, and players know pretty well, and that's one Janine Weber. So you got to break down, you know, how, how'd, you get, <laughs> how'd you get Weber, J9, back, back into the fold? <laughs> yeah. Uh, at first, when we started talking, she was like, well, I'll play if you play. And I was like, well, Janine, this isn't going to work. <laughs> um, so that's why well, it took so she, long, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, uh, I can't. Um, no, yeah, I reached out to her earlier in the year um, when we were still looking for forwards, and she was, you know, really busy with her her work. She works at a charter school and obviously lives in Providence, so it's kind of far from Danbury. But, you know, I think after a few conversations, she finally, you know, realized, like, she misses hockey um, and misses being on a team. And, and so we brought her out to a practice, and, I mean, I don't think she looked back. So um, <laughs> she was a great addition. You know, I think she finally got her legs back. And, um, you know, she's so talented and so strong up front. And I think it really showed in her last couple games. Um, so, you know, hopefully she'll want to play again next year. But, yeah, that was an interesting um, few conversations. And But I'm glad I finally finally squeezed it out of her. Um, and now she's, you know, hoping to be back on Team Austria and get back in the swing of things. So, um, you know, I guess 
Even if you retire, you can always come back. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think we definitely know that. We've, we've had our fair yeah. share of retirements and then, you know, exactly. Michael Jordan 45 comebacks. So <laughs> including uh, freaking Ashley Johnston came back. Yeah, I know. That was exciting. I was like, who else yes. is coming? Let's just, just bring them all back. Yeah. Bring them all back. But, um, you know, I think um, – we could we could go I mean game for game and just some some of the amazing things that happen with this Connecticut team excuse me but also you know I try to keep it real you know I I, I love and adore you but there were also challenges um, but I think you also alluded to this earlier the, the the biggest challenge for this Connecticut team I'd say there's two one is well, they're actually related but one is personnel and, and one is um location there's just been mm-hmm. so much turnover it just seems like um if the roster has some consistency then the rink is moving and if the rink stays the same then the roster you know is is upended so that right. that presents a challenge for you and again we we talked about the circumstances of you coming in as a gm uh were certainly different than than anyone else and unprecedented in in the history of this league but um i i would imagine that that some of that consistency um is is something that you're going to want um definitely for next season so what does that look like for you uh, as we are well at least for connecticut we we still have one one nwhl game left <laughs> No, fingers crossed we'll we'll get it. But uh, you know, you and your team, you ended this season another great battle. Um, but but that season came to an end at Warrior Ice Arena. I mean, uh, we're a few weeks removed from that last game on March eighth. But um, you know, what what are the next steps for you, Bray, when it comes to again really trying to to establish that consistency and and then building building this franchise from there. Yeah, I mean, Laura, Colt, and I have already, you know, been having conversations um, quite a few times a week. We are, you know, talking to college coaches, talking to players, um, so actively recruiting. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we want to keep the core group that we have. And um, I think they played a a huge and important role, especially this year, um, in our success. So, um, you know, I don't foresee the roster changing exponentially but I think you know bringing in a couple you know top forwards and top defensemen is what we're what we're looking for so um hopefully you know staying in Danbury and and keeping the roster somewhat similar will be you know consistent enough for for these girls but you know as we all know professional teams and sports everything changes every day so um I think you you kind of have to um, accept that and and move on and um, you know I think at the end of the day every player understands that what Colton Laura and I are trying to do is build the best possible team you know we want to win the Isabel Cup next year so um, no matter how we get there um, I I would think the players would support our decisions and um, so yeah that's that's the goal and hopefully we can do that this summer and build build the best roster we can yeah and I'll I'll get you out of here on just a few more but Bray as you well know um women's sports I would argue generally but certainly women's hockey there is a little bit of um cheerleading and advocating that you have to do for the sport and and so I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm curious um you know what are some of the messages that you hope to get across to not just the the roster that you were able to to put on the ice this season but but for fans um you know you're still trying to build uh 
a more consistent fan base, at least in the arena. I think whale fans right. are spread out all around the country um, and yeah. North America, which is exciting. Um, but, you know, you still want to be able to to tap into that history of, of hockey in, in the nutmeg state, I'm sure. Uh, so, so what type of um, messages would you like to get out, you know, on this very popular women's hockey podcast um, <laughs> to, uh, to some of the, the fans listening, fans of yours, uh, fans of your players and, and fans of the franchise uh, for, for what you're expecting and, and, and what you really want to put out there uh, for next season that, that they should be excited about? Yeah, I, th- I mean, they sh- they'll definitely see the same exciting, you know, whale um, games. Um, I think bigger and better, better team um, is what we're hoping for. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we wouldn't be here without our fans. So we, we appreciate all of you who listen to this and all of you who follow our games and come to our games. Um, and I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is we want to keep improving. Um, and hopefully with a goal of finishing, you know, number one or number two in the standings is, is something we can do, um, come next year. So stay tuned. Once we know again how the the 2020 season ends and and we get indication of of what 2020 2021 will look like, mm-hmm. uh, we'll we'll have to check back in with the uh, general manager of the Connecticut Whale, Bray Ketchum. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Bray you, Bray Ketchum Peel, I should say, and happy yes. belated birthday. <laughs> Thank you, and um, mm-hmm. I hope you and yours are are staying safe and healthy as we uh, as we get through uh, these trying times for for all of us. Yes, thank you, and you as well. Appreciate it. All right, folks, that will do it for this episode of the Founding Four podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to our weekly independent women's hockey podcast. We put all of this together because of our Patreon posse and also because fans like you who listen in and share the great work and share the lovely stories that we get to tell here at the Founding Four pod. As I mentioned, next week, I will drop for the original eight series, my interview with Kaylee Fratkin. And on the traditional episode of the Founding Four pod, I will give you any updates that we hear about the Isabel Cup final, if there are any re-signings, and hope to have another fun interview for you to follow along with. Until then, please stay healthy. And if you need something to binge watch, go watch old NWHL games. Watch NWHL Open Ice. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the Founding Four podcast and listen to some of our old episodes. I'm in the process of archiving some of the episodes that I had before, along with my co-host Mike Murphy. So stay tuned for that project as it develops. All right, until next week, later!